Ready and willing, Lord, here am I. What a servant's heart and mindset and response to the call of the Lord. And this morning we are on the third and final week of a three-week series titled Hands and Feet. The last couple weeks we have focused on being the hands and feet of Christ in the church, serving within the church. And last week we Focus on being the hands and feet of Christ in the local community, and today we expand that to uh, consider being the hands and feet of Christ in the world as we participate in missions uh, for the spread of the gospel throughout the world. I'm going to begin this time by asking a, a question for you to consider and to think about. What comes to your mind when you think of a missionary? What do you think of when you hear the word missionary. Growing up in a Southern Baptist church, my perception of missionaries was formed rather early, and I can remember as a young child thinking that missionaries, and Jordan, you'll appreciate this, missionaries in my mind were those who were very poor because they loved Jesus so much that they moved to Africa, and they ate strange foods, and lived among wild animals uh, so that they could tell people about Jesus. And then they would come back here uh, from time to time after taking many, many pictures of all the people they met in Africa in order to play long slideshows and give long talks in church about those they had shared Jesus with. There are many problems with that picture of missions and missionaries and what it means from God's Word to, to be a missionary. After all, who... Who could do such a thing? I mean, who would want to do such a thing if that's what a missionary is and and does? Who could be gifted and called in such a specific way, a special way in order to participate in missions for the Lord? I mean, who could be qualified for such a task? Have you ever felt unqualified for a particular responsibility or task that you were considering? Have you ever felt as if you were an unqualified candidate, perhaps for a job? Maybe you didn't even turn in a resume because you thought, there's no way that I'm qualified for that. Or perhaps you were given a responsibility and a job, or, and you began to quickly realize that uh, you had uh, to learn quickly in order to be able to perform what had been uh, given to you. When it comes to missions, many of us, even... Christians feel this way. Most of us feel as if we are unqualified candidates for the task of missions, yet God's Word is very clear that that is not the case. In fact, the Word of God speaks clearly and communicates clearly, the Bible communicates clearly that every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus Christ, every believer in Jesus Christ is called to participate in missions. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is speaking to his followers just before he leaves the earth. He's been resurrected from the dead. He's appeared to them, and now they are with him. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, believers, you will be witnesses. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says, in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reality, according to God's word, is that the Lord Jesus has called and equipped followers to spread the message of salvation to all the people of 
the world. To be a follower of Christ is to be a missionary. And this morning we have special opportunity and privilege for just the next few moments to hear from some missionaries. In fact, to hear some from some men and women who represent various mission teams uh, from this past year, over the course of this year, 2015, that were sent out from Meadowbrook Baptist Church. So if you're one of those five individuals, let me encourage you and invite you to come on up and find your way up here uh, on the platform with me. But each of these men and women uh, went and represent a, a different mission trip from 2015 that was sent out from Meadowbrook Baptist Church. And all of these individuals were qualified candidates to go on those trips because they know Jesus Christ. And so I want to begin, we'll begin with Daryl down the end, and uh, we'll just work our way down this way. If you'll introduce yourself, uh, say uh, where you went on a mission trip and what the purpose of that trip was. Okay. I'm Daryl Moore. Uh, this year I went to Pratt, Kansas with our group that, to build a church for them. Uh, we built a new sanctuary. They needed a larger sanctuary and multi-use space. So the group that, that went, we did uh, electrical and air conditioning, uh, cooked three meals a day, and did framing and roofing. I'm Lindley Splawn. Um, I went to Belize this summer, and we went to a church there, had a VBS for the kids, and just really spent time with them and got to know them. And we also did door-to-door evangelism. Um, I'm Shannon Brown. We went to Danku, Moldova in October. Um, this was our initial um, visit to um, Moldova. So one of our primary purposes was to establish a relationship with the pastor there and Danku and the church. Um, but we also worked alongside of them and did community projects with the villagers all week. My name is Noah Barnett, and we went to an uh, international village in Atlanta where we showed children the word of God that may or may not know or have ever heard of it. I'm Karen Allen, and I went on the second mission trip to um, Honduras on a medical missions where we served the community with their medical needs through family clinics and also met one day physical needs to the community. Very good. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing. Let's go back to you, Daryl, and we'll work our way back uh, this way. But if you could tell us a little bit about how you saw God working uh, on your particular mission trip. Well, one, one way I see it is in the testimonies we hear uh, at lunch, usually someone gives a testimony, and either church members or frequently first-time volunteers from our church or other churches tell about the experience they have coming and why they came and, and what led them and um, how it meant so much to them. So you can see God working in their lives. But also, um, I've gone on several of these trips, um, you can see in the community, usually when hundreds of people show up to build a church, we go to places that may not have as many churches as we have here. And so the, the fact that so many people will come to build a church is amazing. So the local news media usually has stories on TV or in the newspapers about what's going on. You go out in the community and you the people ask about it and you get to tell them what you're there to do. And it just amazes people that uh, people would come that far to do uh, what we're doing for the Lord. It just glorifies God. Um, one way I saw God work in Belize was just um, in the lives of the people there. There were so many people that would show up for the community outreach events that we did. And um, just throughout the week in VBS, you'd see kids who were really unfocused and not interested in what we had to say. But towards the end of the week, they 
um, were asking questions and wanted to know more about the gospel and about Jesus. So it was really amazing to see just the transformation that took place in so many people's lives. Um, for me and, and Dan Koo, um, you can see that the church already, they're doing so many dynamic things already, that church there in that village. But one thing that happened um, that week where I could see, really see God working, um, one of the jobs one day was for um, some people that were in our group to deliver firewood to some of the elderly people who needed some wood for the winter. And they chopped it up and put it in a car, and apparently were having to really in, enjoying themselves delivering it because um, a man in the village approached a church member that night, and he talked about seeing them and seeing them smiling and laughing and didn't understand why they would enjoy that and why, you know, why they had joy. And so it just led that church member to be able to share the gospel with them. And then we got an email from the pastor this week that said so many of the um, village people that had not been attending church that we worked with that week had been coming on a regular basis. So that's exciting to see how God's continued to work weeks later. God worked with us was just helping us preach and show the children that the word of God is amazing and he gives us so much mercy and keeping us safe and getting us home and just seeing how we change their lives and how they will ask questions about the uh, the, the gospel and who he is and how amazing he is at the end of the trip. It really does not take much to show the love of God. And so I was able to see that through just a coloring sheet that we provided for the children, a bottle of Tylenol cough syrup, um, even a bucket of water and bag of rice and beans for the uh, families. But not only do we see the love of God through um, his work in those that we serve, but I was also able to see it through the team that employed his work. And so it was really enjoyable to see how every person, even though we had none of us had ever done a family clinic before in this type of setting, found our niche, and we all found a place of service very quickly. Very good. I know, speaking from personal experience, often uh, going on a trip like this or into a, a, a project, a mission project, we tend to think that we have a lot to offer, that we're coming in to, to, to help, and we certainly are. We, we do have a lot to offer because we have the good news of salvation in Christ, but uh, often it seems that those who go also uh, experience God uh, working in their own lives as well. So third and final question, uh, what did God teach you through this experience? Well, what he teaches me based on what you guys just said, you know, that we all have skills that we bring to the table. And on these trips, people do bring skills, but it's amazing how many times you end up using skills you didn't know you have. Maybe you, you show up and, and you're asked to do something that you do, really didn't think you were going to do when you came. And the Lord gives you the skill set to do that. Um, one thing I learned is just how important it is to share God's love with everyone you meet, whether you're on a missions trip or whether you're here um, in Birmingham. Just everyone we come in contact with, we're supposed to be um, sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Christ. And um, it was just really eye-opening for me to um, realize that I needed to do that here in Birmingham as well. Um, one thing I learned um, from God took me on this trip was about being content in all circumstances. We worked in a lot of really very impoverished homes um, that probably would have been condemned in this country. But there was one day I worked um, all day long in this lady's house. Her name was Maria, and she worked alongside us all week long. And 
I mean, all day long. And I felt really sorry for her all day. I remember just, you know, feeling so sorry for her and actually telling some of the people I was with how sorry I felt for her. But at the end of the day, when we were saying our goodbyes to her, you know, the joy she had, and she was so elated because the work we had done in a day, she said, would have taken her two weeks to get her home ready for the winter. So I, I kind of thought, you know, God kind of spoke to me and said, well, you know, Shannon, you know, her contentment is not based on your standards. Her contentment comes from me. So, um, and I continued to say that all week. So it was exciting. What God taught me is that no matter where you are, who you are, where you come from, and how old you are, he's there for you, and he will always keep you safe, and he's just going to make it right no matter what. Just to reinforce what Daryl said, I'm, I'm constantly taken out of my comfort zone every time I go on a mission trip. This one was no exception, so on a very personal and practical level, I learned to sing Spanish songs, and I do not know Spanish. So it was very enjoyable to be able to share the love of God through singing uh, in their language. But also to, to know that each time I have gone on a mission trip, I know from the get-go all it takes is a willing and obedient heart that God uses our hearts to touch others and to expand his kingdom and as well to expand our own faith even beyond our comfort zone. Well, thank all of you for um, your willingness to go and be used by the Lord in another context, but also your willingness to share with us and be used uh, by the Lord this morning. So as they find their way down to the seat, if you would let them know how much you appreciate them sharing. Well, to be a follower of Christ is to be a missionary. To be a believer in Jesus is to be one who is on mission with the gospel. For the Lord Jesus has called and equipped his followers to spread the message of salvation to the people of the world. We see that in scripture. We see that in our passage of scripture that we look at this morning. That the Lord Jesus calls and equips his followers to spread the message of salvation to the people of the world. Let me encourage you and invite you to join me in God's word to open up. The Bible with me to the New Testament book of Acts this morning will be in Acts chapter 1 uh, for the next few minutes. And if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to take one in the pew rack and to open it up and join us together in God's Word. As you find your place in Acts chapter 1, let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 6 and just to set the Stage for what is taking place here. Jesus has already been crucified on the cross. He's been raised back to life by the power of God from the dead. And he has appeared to his followers. He's appeared to his disciples. In fact, he's appeared to them multiple times over a 40-day period. And here is one of those gatherings. Uh, his disciples are with him. We pick up the story in verse 6. Then they gathered around him, around Jesus, and asked him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Father, we do pray that you would guide us now as we look at your word. Teach us, instruct us, speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in one of these early disciples' shoes. That you were there. That you had lived with and walked with Jesus for some three years of his of his ministry, three years of his adult life, the last three years of his life. In fact, the last three years of your life, you have been witnessing Jesus' teaching and his incredible miracles as he drew the masses. You grew to love this man. You knew that Jesus was a special man. He was a master. He was a teacher. You believed and certainly hoped that he was the Messiah. One who would save Israel and deliver God's people from bondage and oppression. And your faith and your confidence in Him continued to increase until all of a sudden one day your hero was unjustly arrested, beaten, and crucified on a cross. Your hopes have been shattered. Your hopes that He is the one who was promised to save His people, God's people. Your hopes have been crushed. Until three days later, he's raised back to life. He's raised from the dead, defeating death, proving himself to be an extraordinary man, a man sent from God. And you believe, certainly, if not before this, you you now know that this must be the Son of God. This must be the Messiah. This must be the Savior of the world. This is no ordinary person. This is a, a special one sent from God. I can remember, you can stop imagining for a moment, I can remember in high school a certain young man in my high school class that was known to be a bully in the school. He was a pretty big guy and he was, no kidding, just known to be one who if he didn't like someone, if he didn't like a guy, he would he would take it out on him. He would beat him up and he seemed to always get away with it and personally I never really worried too much about him because um, as you know as you can clearly see I've always been a pretty big and intimidating guy myself Um, but in all seriousness uh, he and I seemed to get along okay we got along fine never had any reason to worry about him then all of a sudden one day he was out for one of my good friends and for the life of us we couldn't ever figure out why but he was out to get my friend and and through a series of events that unfolded, and I won't go into those uh, this morning, all of a sudden I thought he was also out to get me. And so at that point I did what uh, the logical thing to do was. I went and looked around in my high school. I found the biggest, baddest, buffest guy I could find. And I said, hey, Mitch, I, I think so-and-so might be out to get me. I have no idea why I haven't done anything to him. If he comes after me, do you have my back? And so when Mitch said, yeah, I've, I've got your back, then I knew I didn't have anything to worry about because no one in all of Jonesboro High School had biceps like Mitch's biceps. Everyone knew he was the biggest guy around. He was the man. And here in the first century, the followers of Jesus, when disciples of Jesus who had walked with Jesus 
witness Jesus not only do incredible things, but now raised from the dead. They knew that he was the man. And they wanted to to join him in whatever he was going to do. They wanted to be his right-hand people. And so they ask him this question in verse 6. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, you're going to take over now and deliver us from Roman oppression? Are you going to be the king? We, we'll be right there with you. We got your back. We are with you. We want to serve you. We know that you are in, in charge. And Jesus' response to that question reveals that, that although he has all power and authority and dominion, he did not come to accomplish what, what people expected and wanted him to accomplish. His kingdom did not look like what they envisioned would unfold when the Messiah came and delivered them from bondage and oppression. For God's kingdom is superior to earthly kingdoms. God's kingdom is superior to earthly kingdoms. His ways are not the same as our ways. And this is why Jesus responded to that question in the way he did in verse 7. He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, Jesus didn't come to establish a powerful political nation during his first coming. He didn't come to be crowned a mighty king. If he had, he could have sidestepped the whole going to the cross thing and simply gone with the flow of the crowds on Palm Sunday that wanted to crown him as as king. But no, Jesus did not come in his first coming to defeat human powers. Rather, Jesus came to defeat spiritual powers, much stronger powers, much greater powers. He came to defeat sin and Satan and death by going to the cross and giving his life on the cross in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. And once he did, once he, once he defeated those powers, he then called and equipped the people to follow him and then to spread the message of salvation in him to the people of the world. God called these followers of Christ to be witnesses to that truth. Witnesses to that message, witnesses of the good news of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life in and through Jesus Christ. And he called them to witnesses of, to that message all over the world. And then he equipped them to do just that. God's power is at work among his people to spread his message to the world. According to God's word, if God's word is true, then God's power is at work among his people to spread his message to the world. That's the central truth of, of this central verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, of the entire book of Acts. Jesus said, but you will receive power, believers, followers in me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, right here, in Judea and Samaria, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. That's quite the missional mandate. That's quite the responsibility. That's quite the commission, quite the task that Jesus gave his, his followers. And the other gospel writers conveyed that, that same commission. Matthew 28, verse 19, Matthew said, Go and make disciples of all nations. Mark conveyed it this way in chapter 16, verse 15. He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Earlier, Luke, the author of Acts, in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, he said, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And he told his followers, he told his disciples, 
And you are my witnesses of these things. Church, this is a a big responsibility, a big task that has been entrusted to the people of God, been entrusted to the church to declare and spread the message of the gospel to all peoples of the world. The church's task is great. The church's task is great. It is large. It is big. It is overwhelming. Seemingly impossible for us. After all, there are estimates that there are something like 2 billion people in the world today, over a quarter of the total world's population. Some 2 billion people in the world today that have little or no access to the good news of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. In other words, they don't know of Jesus. They don't know what He's done for them. And there's no one there to tell them. And the message itself... if in case you haven't heard, it's not a very popular message. It's not a message that naturally just sits well with us as human beings, that we are hopeless, that we are lost, that we are rebellious, that we are sinners in need of someone to save us. That's not an easy sell among people in any age, and particularly in our context today. And add to that the difficulty of thousands of languages and distinct cultural differences and Geographical distances and boundaries and hostile religious groups and spiritual powers that oppose this message. And our work is cut out for us. We have a large task, a tall task, a daunting task that Jesus has given us as his church. But Jesus wants us to know that though the church's task is great, the church's power is even greater. The church's task is great, but the power that God has given His people as a church is even greater than the task that has been put before us because God Himself, the Spirit of the Almighty God, goes with us wherever we might go and into whatever we might face. For the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence, has taken up residence in all those who who know Jesus Christ, and He is the one who grants us the courage to speak and to share the truth of God's love. And He's the very same one that convicts the the hearts of the hearers, opens their eyes to the depths of their sins, that they might come to know and love and to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Church, it is freeing to know that our task is simply to be obedient to the call. Our task is to to share and to show the love of Jesus Christ, to be obedient to the commission, and it is up to God to bring an abundant harvest. And that is what He has done, and that is what He will continue to do by His power. Jesus has called and equipped His followers to spread the message of salvation to the people of the world. And so that His people, us, would remain fixated on that task, on that responsibility, on that commission that is before us, Jesus has assured us that he is coming again. In fact, we see in verses 9 through 11 of Acts chapter 1 that assurance of Christ's return motivates his people to proclaim his message. Assurance of Christ's return, assurance that Jesus is coming again one day, motivates us as his people to be faithful in proclaiming his message and spreading the message of the gospel to the people of, of the world. So Jesus instructs them in this way. He says, you're going to receive the Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses everywhere, starting right where you are and then going out from from there. And then He's ascended bodily, physically before them into the clouds and 
They're standing there looking. In verses 9 to 11, two angels appear to the disciples. They say, what are you doing? What are you looking at? This Jesus who is leaving you now is coming again, and he will return in just the way that, that he left you. And folks, one day, according to God's word, Jesus will return. He is coming back. He's coming back bodily. He's coming back visibly. And all following that day will recognize, will know who He is and surrender to Him. In fact, on that day, following that day, at His name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is coming again and and all people one day will recognize, will acknowledge, whether they whether they want to or not, they will acknowledge that He is the sovereign King, that He is Lord, that He is Master, that He is in charge. And following His return, all God's people, past, present, and future, from across the globe will gather together and comprise the great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and crying out in loud voices, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And after Christ comes again, after He returns for His people, He will gather His people to be with Him forever. And and we will experience no more pain, experience no more hurt, we'll experience no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more hardship, for there will be no more sin among the people of God. As Christians come together from all over Birmingham, Alabama, and all over Atlanta, Georgia, and all over Pratt, Kansas, and all over Santa Clara, Belize, and Guaymaca, Honduras, and Danku, Moldova, and London, and Paris, and New York, and Tokyo, and Cape Town, and Caracas, as people from all over the globe, past, present, and future, come together to worship the King and to enjoy His presence forever. And we as believers in Jesus who have been saved by the grace of God look forward to that day. We look forward to the day that we will gather with all of God's people and enjoy His presence, worshiping Him forever. But in the meantime, there's a great responsibility that has been entrusted to us. And we anticipate Christ's return by participating in the spread of the gospel. So how can we as believers in Christ gathered here this Sunday morning as part of Meadowbrook Baptist Church in Shelby County, Alabama. How can we participate in the spread of the gospel? A number of ways that we can do that. Firstly, let's pray for the spread of the gospel. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel. Let's pray that the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ would spread and that it would spread all over this city, that it would spread all over this country, that it would spread all over the world for the glory of our great God. The reality is not all of us can and and we'll go on a mission trip, as these have shared with us this morning, who have, who have gone on a trip. But, the, but we all should, as followers of Christ, be participating in constant prayer for the lost. For those who don't know Christ, who haven't heard of Christ, who haven't given their hearts to Jesus Christ. We've seen in recent weeks that as believers in Christ, we are qualified candidates to approach the throne of God boldly through the blood of Jesus Christ and offer up intercession on behalf of others. Church, let's be about interceding on behalf of the lost by praying for the spread of the gospel. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel. Secondly, let's give for the spread of the gospel. Let's give for the spread of 
of the gospel. Let's give to gospel causes. Let's give that missionaries can go, that they can serve, that they can live among people who don't know the love of Jesus Christ. And as we saw earlier, as we heard earlier, we are very fortunate, Southern Baptists, to be part of a a great sending and supporting agency as an international mission board that supports thousands of Southern Baptist missionaries all over the world serving in some of the hardest places to serve among some of the most unreached. And as you give to the local church, as you give to the church, a portion of what you give goes through the cooperative program to support thousands of Southern Baptist missionaries all over the world that they can live among the lost, that they can participate in ministry among the lost. And then in addition to that, this Lottie Moon annual Christmas offering goes all, 100% of it, to support and to sustain Southern Baptist missionaries all over the world. So let's give for the spread of the gospel. Let's give through the local church. Let's give through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Let's give that God's message of salvation might be spread to the people of the world. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel. Give for the spread of the gospel. Thirdly, let's speak for the spread of the gospel. Speak for the spread of the gospel. The reality is that that you don't have to go far, if at all, to be right in the middle of a mission field to share the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ. The reality is, mission field is all around us and increasingly so as the nations are coming to us, as our own culture is becoming more and more diverse and as fewer and fewer in our culture self-identify as Christians, as followers of Christ. There are opportunities all around us. We cannot and will not all go, but every single one of us have multiple opportunities every single week to share the good news of Jesus Christ with co-workers and neighbors and classmates, family members and friends. Let's talk about Jesus. There's people who know Jesus and believe in Jesus and love Jesus and who've been saved by the grace of God as carried out through, through Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus with, with those in whom those we encounter. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel. Let's give for the spread of the gospel. Let's, let's talk or speak for the spread of the gospel. And fourth and finally, let's go for the spread of the gospel. Let's go for the spread of the gospel. Jesus told his fathers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Church, the reality is that God is not just the God of Birmingham, Alabama. And God is not just the God of the United States of America. And God is not just the God of Israel. The God of the Bible has a heart for the nations. He is the one and only sovereign king and ruler over the nations. So let's be a people who follow after him and who are faithful to his call. Faithful to the one who has called us to follow him and equipped us to spread his message of salvation all over the world. Father, we give you praise this morning because you are worthy of our praise. Father, we've gathered here in this place on this day to to worship you. And Father, to hear from you, to be challenged by you, to be encouraged by your presence and your word. And Lord, to be encouraged by fellow followers of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to point us to you, that you would continue to draw us together as your church, that we might together declare your glory among all people. 
that your name would be known, that your glory would be felt. Lord, that there would be a great multitude around your throne from Birmingham, Alabama and beyond, worshiping you, declaring that you are a mighty king and a sovereign Lord and a wonderful Savior. Father, hear our praise now as we respond to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.